You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Dee Kager. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, April 24th, 2023. Later in the program, environmental correspondent Zero Rose explores urban permaculture and village building with Mark Lakeman, the eco-architect and placemaker behind Portland, Oregon's City Repair Project. More in today's feature report. Utilities Department of the City is not in charge of keeping the water clean. Nobody is in charge of keeping the water clean. We really need to protect our local body of water that provides drinking water for us. That's Beth Savage from Friends of Lake Monroe. We'll hear more from her later in the show about grassroots volunteer efforts to protect the source of Bloomington's drinking water. That's on a new episode of Activate featuring real people working for positive change in our community. But first, your daily headlines. On April 19th at the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting, the Health Department update was given by Administrative Assistant Jamie Ford. Um, Good morning. I do have several updates for you, though. The White House released an official statement stating that the National COVID-19 Emergency Declaration enacted in March of 2020 will be expiring on May 11, 2023. COVID-19 vaccines and boosters will still be available for free while supplies last. However, once the federal supply runs out, Only those covered under health insurance, both public and private, will have easy access. Those that are uninsured or underinsured may face barriers. Free at-home testing will depend on what health insurance you have. Those under traditional Medicare will no longer receive free at-home tests. Those on Medicaid will have access to free at-home tests until November 2024. Those with private insurance will depend upon the insurance. As a reminder, the health department does still have free at-home COVID tests, available for the public. You can walk in from 8 to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday to receive free at-home tests. On April 18, 2023, the FDA authorized changes to simplify the use of bivalent COVID vaccines. The monovalent Moderna and Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines are no longer authorized for use. Um, The public health clinic does have bivalent vaccines available. You can call 812-353-3244 for an appointment. Um, In response to the recent storms and tornadoes, the health department is still working with the Indiana Department of Health to provide vital record services and Tdap or tetanus um, vaccines to those affected by the recent tornadoes in the area. We are working to establish these services at the Steinsville School on April 26th during 1 to 6 p.m. as part of a multi-agency resource event along with the Salvation Army and Red Cross. Ford also showed the public how to access the resources available on their website. So this is our main health department webpage. And because um, since I've started working here, I've learned that there is always something to um, be aware of in terms of public health. So we are trying to make it easier for the public to see several different resources in one spot at the same time. So if you go to our main health department webpage and click on this public health information site, this will take you to a site that I built using our Esri ArcGIS technology that we get, that the county has access to. And if you scroll down, you'll see everything from COVID-19, uh, we have MRSA, um, the Candida auris, um, which is the, the fungus that we've been um, tracking. The CDC also has information on it. All of this is in one spot that you can see. Um, and then here, this is actually the Indiana um, dashboard. So you can see Monroe County statistics. You can see the state as a whole. 
Um, or if you also wanted to go to see the COVID wastewater surveillance, you can click on that and easily find that information there. Um, so like I said, we were just trying to make it a little bit easier for um, people to find all the information that they're looking for at once instead of having to go try to find um, several different uh, websites. So if you just scroll down here, um, we also have the, the new information from the FDA about the COVID vaccines. Um, that's been linked here. Um, like I said, MRSA. And then this is also, um, this is an emergent threat that was just declared, I believe last week about fentanyl mixed with xylazine. Um, so yeah, we will be updating this, um, just trying to keep the public aware. And then as uh, um, as we get more information, whether it's about COVID or other emerging threats, we'll, we'll add that here. So, but like I said, you can find that links to the health department website. Monroe Circuit Court Probation Department Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative Coordinator Christine McAfee gave a department update on the Probationary Advisory Workgroup. Hi, good morning. Just a really quick update with JDAI. There you go. Um, you know, we've had these conversations before that oftentimes people like to get together and make decisions that impact the lives of others without inviting those that are impacted to come and join in the conversation. Uh, so we're trying to change that with our JDAI work group. We are creating a youth probation advisory board. Um, I use youth in air quotes because we're really looking for 18 to 25 year olds that have had prior experience with our probation department as a juvenile in Monroe County. Um, we'll likely extend it to others who have had probation experience around the state at some point, but we're really focusing on if you've had probation experience in Monroe County right now. Uh, we want that 18 to 25 year old age group because we want their experience to have been relative enough, relevant enough um, that what they experienced is likely similar to what we're doing now. If people are interested in learning more about that, I would encourage them to contact me. My email address is C McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E at co.monroe.in.us. Later, the commissioners heard from Parks and Recreation Assistant Director John Robertson. He asked the commissioners to approve a service agreement with Graber Post Buildings Incorporated. In summary, the exterior of the building uh, is starting to deteriorate. So this project is important to get done. Um, I know our caretaker would very much approve it or, and be thankful. Um, so the amount is not to exceed $30,500, uh, as mentioned, would come out of our contractual lines. If there are any questions, happy to answer. The commissioners unanimously approved the service agreement. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on April 27th. In today's feature report, environmental correspondent Zero Rose explores urban permaculture and village building with Mark Lakeman, the eco-architect and placemaker behind Portland, Oregon's City Repair Project, which has inspired communities around the world to transform their neighborhoods into art installations and food forests. We turn to Zero Rose for more. Joined today by Mark Lakeman, uh, founding uh, 
designer and director of uh, Communitecture, a community architecture and planning firm. Uh, he's been involved with many projects around the country, involved with uh, placemaking and urban permaculture. And uh, what he's maybe best known for, at least what I uh, discovered him through, was the city repair project in Portland, Oregon where they were taking over intersections and turning them into community central nodes and uh, blocking traffic and putting up benches and solar tea stands and this type of thing. So uh, we're gonna talk to him about the uh, kind of village building work that he's been doing and the various things he's uh, got himself involved in. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Mark. Thanks, Zero. Total pleasure to talk with you about this and anything else. And so uh, I guess you're on a tour at the moment, uh, hipping people up in California to different ways to design their neighborhoods to make them more ecologically and socially uh, sustainable. Yeah, there's a lot of different um, things I'm trying to accomplish on this speaking tour. I'm doing everything from talking to mayors and planning directors. Hopefully I've got a gig with the mayor of Los Angeles, but I do have a gig with um, the mayor of Santa Monica and the planning director, and then um, all kinds of different grassroots scenarios, schools, universities. I'm even working with some kids doing chalk drawings tomorrow morning, some little kids. So um, a lot about homelessness and houseless villages. Doing a lot of work on for the last 20 years. So we got a fing our, our fingers in a lot of different pies and people want to know how we've managed to achieve all these different prototypes. It's good to hear that it's uh, not just a thing for the landed gentry and people that own their homes, but that you're getting into uh, homeless villages. Yeah, we prototyped the first version of DIY houseless villages in the country back in beginning in 1999 and it took maybe a year and a half the city council to finally approve what we were proposing and we were working very closely with a lot of allied organizations and a core group of homeless activists i use homeless and houseless a lot sort of interchangeably because back then the term was homeless but um, we were trying to get the city to realize that if you allow people to be stable in a place they can take care of themselves not necessarily rely on a whole bunch of tax-based budget and um, actually outperform what uh, taxpayers cover in terms of these kinds of emergency shelters that after all start off by breaking families apart into different genders and different, different ages. And they really break down families that are already struggling. So we proposed a model that kept people together and let them keep their pets, let them be stable and keep their belongings, basically build their own infrastructure, having an address where they can send and receive mail, hopefully getting a job or somehow getting safe. But that's, that's not happening anytime soon for a whole lot of people. So aggregating tents together and being able to build with whatever they can get out of the waste stream to make a place of mutual benefit can actually end up looking like a village. And the first one we created in Portland has been verified by the police as being absolutely the safest place in the city in terms of crime rate, crime rates and 
different indicators of strife, calls for police, calls for neighborhood mediation, that sort of thing. So there's a lot to say about why that's true, but we kind of knew that would be true at the start because of where we're coming from and understanding the nature of these problems. And then as I've studied villages and pre-colonial villages and the way that a lot of gathering spaces replicate the idea of being inside of your mother, like a circular meeting space, especially my own Celtic ancestors, it's referring to a great mother, the space within a great mother, actually creating some kind of mythological structure that helps you in combination with a spatial experience in a circle, a feeling whole. I would like to say that, you know, the you introduced the work I'm doing. When I got back from visiting the Lock and Doan, the first, first project was an intervention. I, I was steeped in architectural kind of modernist um, dogma and philosophy. And after traveling and visiting indigenous societies, I, I realized how much of that was, and it was exactly the opposite of what we needed to do in order to actually bring people together, especially to reunite human consciousness with, or really a human affinity with nature. And so I started intentionally designing spaces that refuted the words of the so-called great modernists like Mies van der Rohe, Louis Kahn, Le Corbusier, and um, to some extent, Frank Lloyd Wright, but mostly just his egotism and his individuation, the individuation in his, in his way of thinking. That's a tough one to talk about. We could go on for hours about, about that particular character because he was also amazing. But I just started, like, I remember that in school I was taught that these so-called great modernists were emphatic that nature and humanity were separate. So human architecture had to express, like physically crystallize the distinction of, of humans from nature. And I had just visited so many spaces that brought people together that were so simple, so elegant, transparent, and not coercive. And so I started to just create that kind of space in my own neighborhood. And the phenomena went through the roof, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people until there were so many people, they couldn't even get on this one property. And then they were on all properties around this one intersection. And then there were so many people that we took over the intersection and people were dancing in the streets. And this it's this whole long story, but it led to the, the first sort of seizure of a street intersection. And when we did it, we painted the street and we built all these structures on the corners and the police were called by some neighbor who like didn't understand what we were doing. And the police said, this is the most amazing thing. This giant guy named Ed, who's very, almost seven feet tall, bald, scary looking. And he's like, you know what? I'm paid to stop stuff which is bad, but not stop stuff which is good. And so when transportation, like he's like, I'm not even gonna report this because he's like seeing all these people that live right there. Like we painted the street and it's our neighborhood. We built the little free libraries, you know, before li little free libraries even existed. That's what we were doing. We were building solar powered tea stations and kids clubhouses wrapped around a, living tree and all these gardens. We were tearing up lawns. Um, for me, it was just being like a lock and don Maya, like I had seen them be. Just be unregulated. Be, 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 take off the collar, take off the, the leash and just start to create directly with people. 
to feel free and to liberate our creativity. And the police loved it. Transportation got mad. And then the mayor saw what we did. And she's like, <laughs> I remember this moment. Transportation was like, you've got to get this stuff off the street or we're going to charge everybody on the corners and we're going to, we're going to hurt you. You know, we're going to charge you financially. You're going to feel pain. So we went to talk to the mayor, just hoping that she would be able to relate to our work. And she saw this photo. We were standing in the foyer. She walks into the foyer of her office. She looks at this photo I'm holding in my hand and she's like, this is in Portland? Like she, I know, I knew of her from my parents' own political activism when I was a little kid. So I knew she had been cool at some point. And when she saw what we had done, like we had a photo of what we had done in the street. And she's like, she turns to the ombudsman, you know, who's like the Superman of, of the city. Like the ombudsman can do anything. And she says, Michael, shut down transportation. Give these people a chance to talk to the city council. Something remarkable has happened. <laughs> and within two hours, we're sitting with the city lawyer and she and the mayor, Vera Katz, points to the picture and she's like, what was her name? Laura, the, the, city, the city lawyer was like, what was her name? Anyway, she said, make this legal. <laughs> I have never seen executive power act so decisively and quickly as I saw that day. We went from standing there feeling hopeless with one last shred of a chance to the most powerful person really in the history of Oregon standing there saying, make this legal. And within a couple of months, everything was worked out. The city council unanimously legalized the free transformation of every intersection in any neighborhood that anyone had wanted to turn into a public square. I want to shift though back for a second to your, um, you, re you referred to food forests. Mm -hmm. My little daughter, who's six years old now, she's grown up in a permaculture paradise that we live in in Portland, Oregon. We've been cultivating it since 1996. So it's just a 50 by 100 lot, but we've revillaged the whole block with pathways, shared gardens, painted intersections, orchards, all these wonderful things going on. And on our 50 by 100 lot, it's particularly intense with um, all these retrofit buildings with straw clay, cob and earth and plaster, earth and paints, but everywhere you go, there's food. Everywhere you walk, like, you know, 14 different varieties of fruit trees bursting throughout spring and summer with blossoms and food. And then, you know, fruit forests. So like literally from the ground plane all the way to the tops of the trees, you've got vines and perennial vegetables and edible ground cover. And it's just all these phasing, all this phasing of you know, blooming flowers and food all around you. It's just blessed. It's blessed to be in. You know, it just makes me think all the time. I just, I walk through there, like watching my daughter harvesting everything. And she's so articulate about plant relationships and understanding how things thrive in the sun or shade and how, how plants like different environments and how they get along differently with different plants. And she's six years old and she's just so so versed in all of this stuff plant medicine she's constantly experimenting cooking it's just fascinating so she's thriving she's in a human habitat of a of a like you know real really resurging ecosystem 
designed by people and gardened by people, tended by people. And so she's growing up to be a gardener of the world. So what I'm saying is, you know, like one entry point for talking about this is food, food security. And you'd hope that that would motivate some people. But it's so easy to be living in Pax Americana, thinking that everything's just fine. And if you have, <clears throat> have enough money, you'll always be able to eat. But there's so many more entry points for talking about this, like to grow children who are like, like alive and vital, informed and empowered, and like feel physically capable and have all this agency. Like that's one way to talk about it. So it's how to grow the best, most healthy kids. And then like beauty, health, there's just so many different entry points for talking about why this is all good stuff. A sense of place. Today's episode of Activate, former longtime director of the Bloomington Volunteer Network, Bet Savage, talks about Friends of Lake Monroe, a grassroots volunteer organization safeguarding the source of Bloomington's drinking water. This segment is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Bette Savage. I'm a volunteer with Friends of Lake Monroe. Friends of Lake Monroe is a local grassroots organization, the whole point of which is to keep the water as clean as possible and make it cleaner if we can get it that way. Maybe you've noticed the signs that have gone up on the outskirts of town that say entering the Lake Monroe watershed. Uh, I'm very happy to see those signs. I think it's, a, it's such a good reminder that while we need to protect all of the bodies of water on the earth, we really need to protect our local body of water that provides drinking water for us. Well, a very in-depth watershed study was completed last year, and it uh, determined what the primary sources of pollution are in the lake. Uh, those are nutrients, sediment, and E. coli. The water quality is very good. There are taste and odor issues in late summer when the lake level is low and when the water heats up. The city's utilities department works really hard to keep on top of that, but the utilities department of the city is not in charge of keeping the water clean. The Department of Natural Resources is not in charge of keeping the water clean. The Army Corps of Engineers is not in charge of keeping the water clean. Nobody is in charge of keeping the water clean. 
And that's why Friends of Lake Monroe started. I have deep roots in the community. I didn't grow up here, but I moved here when I was pretty darn young, really. <laughs> and uh, I really wanted to move to a community where I could get involved, and it was easy here. I worked as the director of the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network for 23 years, thoroughly enjoyed meeting so many of the people who are doers in the community, not just talkers, and that's my favorite kind of people. I was on the board of Friends of Lake Monroe for a year, and we decided that uh, we needed the lake to be swimmable, fishable, and drinkable. And just in the last few years, it's grown quite a bit. There now is a staff of two. The organization has received two grants from the EPA through the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. That's how we can pay a couple of people to do some of the work. But it, uh, the organization relies on volunteers. The easiest way to get involved as a volunteer is to participate in one of the cleanups. We work with the Department of Natural Resources once a month and pick up trash and other litter from the Payne Town area. And uh, that's a very straightforward way to meet other members, to meet other people that care about the lake. There are other ways to get involved, and one of them is um, to become a member. Membership is very inexpensive, and as a member you receive a, um, a nice newsletter so you can see what Friends of Lake Monroe is up to, and then start easing your way into other ways to volunteer. Another benefit is that we have several free kayak trips for members, and we have wildflower hikes and sometimes birding trips, that kind of thing because a lot of people just want to enjoy the lake and, and then once they enjoy it, then they want to protect it. For more information about Friends of Lake Monroe, just go to our website, it's friendsoflakemonroe.org. There you'll find uh, information about public meetings that are coming up so you can learn more about water quality, what is a watershed, and you'll have access to the uh, watershed study. That website is friendsoflakemonroe.org. Again, this is Beth Savage, a volunteer with Friends of Lake Monroe. I hope that you decide to get involved in a small way or a large way to protect our lake. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Activate is produced by Chad Carruthers and Michelle Moss. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Deke Hager. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 